0: Hard to talk or do anything after that. What a beautiful statement to our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. That's why we're here in his name. Our praise team. Just what a what a glorious sound and, and ministry to us this morning. We're going to conclude this service in a few moments by gathering around the table of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who gave his life for us. The one who met our need in the only way it could be met. And yes, his name is worthy. He is worthy. He'll receive praise forever. Today we want to look into the Word of God And we're going to be looking upon some who at great cost to themselves honored and maintained their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that this word I hold in my hand might gain a life unique to this moment. That we might be stirred by the things we read. We might be encouraged. We might find hope in the very revelation of God concerning what is yet to come. So we yield ourselves to your control and put ourselves under the instruction of your word now, praying in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we come to a very significant part of the book of Revelation, we come to the part of this book that even godless Hollywood movie makers know about. Revelation chapter 13, it's where the infamous number 666 is found. Hollywood has used that number in a variety of ways to communicate the the worst and the most terrible and the most horrifying things that might ever happen. This morning, we're not going to venture any guesses regarding that cryptic trio of sixes. What I want us to see is the context in which that number is found. What's going on? What is John talking about? What is he seeing? What is the Lord Jesus revealing to him when, when these things that, that kind of frequently take center stage are mentioned? I'm calling the context for the 666 number. It's our hope-generating Revelation 16, and I'm calling it the revelation of a dire circumstance. A dire circumstance, life or death maybe. That's what that word means. And the circumstance concerning which the Apostle John was given this revelation was dire, to say the least. It will be the most dire situation that mankind will ever experience. Hopefully, you and I will neither see it, nor experience it, even if it begins tomorrow, which it well might. Let me say that I'm certainly not going to speculate about things that John himself probably thought he had a handle on in his day. I believe everything that John wrote down, he sort of had a notion, I know what that is, I know who that is, I know how this is going to come about. And since John's day, practically everyone who's picked up the book of Revelation, certainly who've tried to understand it and then maybe teach it, have come to some notion that they felt pretty confident about what these things meant in their day. And yet those days have passed. And more days have come. And now we are here in our day. And so I'm not going to join the long band of people probably starting with the Apostle John who says, well, I know what this is talking about because we don't. I'm just going to follow John's description of this dire circumstance and follow it right through this 13th chapter. Now, the whole backside of your note sheet today is Revelation chapter 13. It's 18 verses, and I'm not going to read all 18, and I didn't ask Linda to scroll them through the screen this morning. This is a a little bit briefer message getting ready for our communion time, but we're going to refer to it, and I will mention which verses what I'm saying come from that you have printed out there for you. Of course, you have it in your own Bible, if you have your Bible with you today. There are several components to this dire circumstance. In this Revelation, Given to John, we, along with John, see that one, a beast, a beast arises upon the earth from among men. We're told that in verses 1 through 3. Now, when John says a beast, when we read a beast, I don't want you to picture some hairy thing, some real animal, a horrible animal. This is a vision Everything means something other than what it seems to be. It's a vision intended to perhaps stir emotion and also get people's attention. But the very fact that it's a vision means it's not spelled out specifically and not until these things come to pass will anybody say, So, that's the beast. So John is just painting us, as it were, a picture of what he's seeing. A word picture. A beast arises. John says, I was standing on the shore of the sea, and out of the sea comes this beast, this creature. He's got ten horns on his head. Every horn has a crown on it. He's got seven heads. And one of them looks like it, was, uh, it received a mortal wound. Maybe it split right open. A vivid, vivid picture that raises as many questions as the picture of it answers. Here's what John does say. He says, the people on earth are astonished when they see this beast. For it seems it has survived what should have been a fatal wound. And so people wonder. I mean, they're astonished. The thing ought to be dead, but it's not. Maybe it's something that died and actually came back to life, or something that should have died and didn't. And People can't believe it didn't die. That it's still there. Now, as we think about it, might, might this be some great man? a leader that will arise from the the hordes of people on this earth an entrepreneur perhaps or might this beast this it be some kind of human organization a nation maybe even a corporation The truth is, though, whatever or whomever this beast turns out to be, it has a tremendous comeback story. And it's that comeback story that causes the world to marvel. It should have ceased to exist. But it has lived on somehow, and not only survived, but it's thriving. And the people of the world say, how? How did that happen? How is that happening? How can that happen? It emerges from the sea of mankind as something truly extraordinary. This beast captures the wonder and the admiration of the world. Only John sees it in the way he pictured it. The people on earth will not see it as a seven-headed, ten-horned, crown-wearing beast, as John described it. The world will see it possibly, as the Savior of mankind. The beast. The world marveled at it and was drawn toward it. And then, to John, is revealed the secret of the great comeback. How did this happen? How did this thing that should have died remain and even thrive? How has this happened, this incredible story? Victory almost over death of this thing. And John gives us then the explanation of the rise of this beastly being. It's rise to worldwide wonder and amazement. Here's the second point. The dragon empowers the beast. The beast did not do this on its own. Whatever the circumstances were, it should have just died. It should have been gone. It should have been, become a footnote in history. But it did not because the dragon empowered it. Verses 4 through 8, we're told. Now remember, in the book of Revelation, who is the dragon? Let's try that again. We'll let you use the S word. Who is the dragon? Satan. Oh, I'm sorry. Here I'm asking you to speak out, you know, aggressively, and, and you really just need to kind of breathe that out, Satan. But altogether, we we know what it is, right? The dragon is the devil, is Satan, is Lucifer. And through this beast, the objectives of Satan will be accomplished or achieved. The beast in fact, becomes Satan's agent upon the earth. You could almost go so far as to say it's almost like a, an incarnation of Satan himself. Here's the key points of the revelation. It says the beast receives the dragon's power and throne and great authority on the earth. Remember? Remember way back during the 40 days of Jesus' uh, temptations in the wilderness before he began his earthly ministry? What What did Satan the devil offer Jesus? He said, if you'll fall down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms of earth. You can have it right now. Jesus resisted that temptation. He said, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God only and serve him. Jesus refused the devil's offer. This beast will not. Whomever or whatever this is, the offer given by Satan himself of power and a throne and great authority will be accepted. He will bow down and worship Satan and he will receive all that Satan can give. And all of that, all the power, all the throne, the ruling ability, all the great authority will be used in keeping with Satan's objectives. So the beast receives the dragon's power and throne and great authority. The beast, we go on to say, he blasphemes God. You just can't be buddies with God and the devil at the same time. You can't get in league with the devil. You can't accept the devil's offer of power and might and glory and all of these worldly things and still be on good terms with God. In fact, you can't even be neutral toward God. The more a person gets in, as my mom would say, cahoots with the devil the more you absolutely must just turn your back on God. You must wind up blaspheming him. You must wind up cursing him. You must wind up trying to put God in a a place where nobody would want anything to do with him. Because that's the viewpoint of the devil himself. And so it says the beast blasphemes God. And he blasphemes all those who dwell in heaven. That would involve blaspheming the precious Son of God, the Savior we sang about this morning, blaspheming Jesus Christ, mocking Him, tearing down anything on this earth that resembles Him or that would remind people of Him. There's some beastly stuff going on in our world right now. And it's just a forerunner. This will be Satan's moment on earth. All that he has ever sought to do will be seemingly done. This beast will rail against the Almighty. This beast will deny God's wisdom and authority. This beast will speak evil of all the heavenly beings the way that you and I might speak evil of all the demonic beings be completely reversed. The world as a whole will consider the only heaven worth having to be the heaven that this beast will create right here on earth. But still, thanks to the the ministry still going on of the Holy Spirit, Thanks to the witness of the 144,000, there will still be, while this beast is on the earth, a vast number of human beings who resist all that is being said and done. A vast number who will cling to the truths of Scripture and to the person of Jesus Christ, saints of God in the midst of this seeming victory of Satan himself. So John sees next that the beast makes war against the saints. And by the way, I don't think there is any indication here that the saints of God are picking up weapons and and going to war. The beast is making war against them. And it says he conquers them. He makes war against the saints and he conquers them. Rid the earth of them becomes the theme of the day. They are detrimental to the cause, those Christians. They are impediments standing in the way. They are unfit for the new order of things. They are the enemy of all that is right and good. There's some of that in the air already. There have been... Statements like that made throughout human history. Made first by the Romans, the government, these Christians who were actually accused of being atheists because they didn't accept any of the Roman gods. There's always come a time in every place where the gospel has been taught, where people have been saved, where the generations pass where Christianity falls out in favor of those who are there. And God moves his church on to a different place, to a different country, to a different location, to be the center of the faith. But in this day, in this day, there will be no place, no place left for believers to find refuge, safety, no nation to take them in saying, we affirm the very things you hold dear. There'll be no place. No place. The vast places will have been emptied by the rapture of Jesus Christ. The coming of Christ for his church. And the world will come under the domination of Satan himself as his representative represents him and war will come and he will war against the Saints and this is not a hopeful thing this is not the part it says and he will conquer them. He will conquer them. There's no bounce back for the church of Jesus Christ in that day. No, no finding a new place to start mission work again. The world is under the domination of Satan himself. And believers are in the crosshairs and they will be conquered. There's a verse that just says, "And, and those that will be conquered will be conquered and those that will be killed will be killed. No believer escapes. And so then John comes. And he says, makes this statement, all except the saints will worship the beast. And that'll be the great dividing line in the world. Are you a beast worshiper? Or are you a worshiper of Jesus Christ? will not be able to pass yourself off as both. Because those over here will not even allow that to be said you can 't worship the beast and also follow after Christ. The beauty of that is that Satan himself will require true faith to be true no half hearted belief in Jesus and also a, a going along with the group, the world it 's going to be one or the other, and those who stand for Jesus Christ are going to be contrary to everything that that it takes really to survive in this world. You see, worship means far more than just knuckle under to. The world will not just knuckle under to the beast because he's so powerful. Worship means to reverence, to honor as your highest value, to yield yourself entirely to What's going on in the world in these days, people see as the answer for everything. They will bow down. They will worship. They will sell their soul. They will do whatever needs to be done because what is right out there in front of them, they believe is the ultimate thing, the best thing. And they give themselves to it. They buy into it. They wrap their hearts around it. They worship the beast. You see, the current, the current of public opinion in that day will be flowing so swiftly that only those who are stabilized by the Spirit of God himself will be able to resist being just swept away by it. The world, by and large, will be swept away. Unbelievers will be swept away. And now, if what John has seen to this point isn't dire enough, John next sees, thirdly, a second beast. A second beast, he says, arises from the earth, verses 11 to the end of the chapter, 11 to 18. Again, a fascinating vision. For though it would seem that Satan has already achieved full mastery over mankind, and that he's receiving that for which he has long yearned, He doubles down, as it were, and sends yet another powerful agent, a second beast. Now, this beast is completely in the service of the first, though it does possess great power and it gains great influence over mankind. Here's how John saw the functions of this second beast. It does great signs signs and wonders, and deceives mankind. It exalts the first beast and requires all people to worship the first beast and the image that the second beast creates. Why, here's an image of our leader, and you must bow down in front of that image. Sounds like Daniel in the Old Testament and Nebuchadnezzar. And then, of course, we get to this point. The second beast forces all people to receive what is called the mark of the beast. The thing that identifies you permanently with that being. A mark in your forehead or in your right hand that says you belong to him. You are a worshiper of the beast. And as a result, all the privileges that he can give Are yours. I wonder if I'll need that. I might. So let's go here. All the privileges. It said you can't buy or sell. Can't buy or sell. Can't do anything without having this mark. I'm sure it's just a scanning device. We're getting familiar with scanning devices ourselves. What's wrong with a scanning device? Did any of you, are any of you old enough to feel the little nervousness about getting your first credit card? And having your financial matters in some sort of a central agency? And maybe this is just leading toward, you know, might you take the mark of the beast accidentally and be lose out on heaven just ignorantly? Well, that's not going to happen. Whatever the device is, we'll probably all have it with us before the beast ever shows up. It's just a device. It's just a methodology. We'll probably be scanning our hands to buy stuff uh, in the next couple of years just because your hand's always with you. Your medical information is going to be on some kind of chip that you got within your body. Does that mean you took the sign of the be- mark of the beast? No, it doesn't. But might it be the thing the, mar- the beast takes advantage of? Probably. And there'll come a time where the thing that you've been using just normally, now you only can use if you're one of his. Only if you're one of his will it work. And at that point, there'll be a decision to make. And nobody will take the mark of the beast ignorantly or unknowingly. It'll be known. There's worship involved here, there's an anti God uh, agenda here. And if I'm going to thrive in this world, I'm going to have to accept all of that. And that'll be the decision people have to make. And John is saying it's coming can't buy, can't sell, can't do anything once the beast is running the show. And so the second beast is just kind of the cheerleader for the first. Now here's the final thing. The consequences of all of this are most dire. dire. Verses 9 and 10, John says, some saints on earth will go into captivity. You know, just be taken out of society and put in prison. Some saints on earth will be killed by the sword. It seems like those are the only two things that will happen to Christians. Either they're killed or they're put into captivity. Doesn't seem like there's any escaping these fates. There will be no doubt on the part of those persecuted believers on the earth in those days that they are in fact living in the last days. Because this is just not one country that's been overtaken by evil. This is the whole world. This is the whole world. This is every believer anywhere is under the gun at this time. Believers on the earth at that time will know that the book of Revelation is being played out right in front of them. They will know there's no place to flee. No nation that provides any haven for them. The end has come and at least the anxiety of wondering if this is the end, is gone. They will know it is. They will know it is. And I tell you, these are most dire circumstances. You don't want to be on earth at a time like that. If it is the will of God to deliver his people from such a time as that, you want to be one of those who is delivered. You want to be ready. You want to have your faith in Jesus Christ. Quit saying, well, I'm thinking about it. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure what. You need to just put your faith in Jesus Christ. In a few moments, we're going to recognize once again our Savior as the one who died on the cross for our sins. It's not a matter of us living good enough. It's not a matter of us somehow getting on God's good side. It's a matter of confessing that Jesus Christ has paid the price of my sin, and I'm going to trust him with my eternity. I'm going to trust him and trust him alone. And if you're not doing that already, man, get ready. If you have family members who are just playing around with these matters of faith and worldliness, you talk to them. You talk to them. It's not that nobody can be saved after Christ returns for his church. There'll be untold numbers saved. But it won't be the life that you and I are living. It won't be the life that we're living even those of us who've been privileged to live most of our lives in a nation that supports our Christian faith and values. These are going to be dire times, dire circumstances. No escaping from them. So I'll tell you, there's a, there's a way of just appealing, appealing to your sons and daughters, your grandchildren, your brothers, your sisters, your parents, your friends. Oh, give your heart to Christ. Give your heart to Christ. Just look at the world today. We're not saying this is it, but you can begin to sense what it will be like when evil is just in control of everything as far as man's affairs are concerned. So, Joe said to me a couple days ago, he said, well, Pastor, I'd just like to see where you're getting any hope out of that. Where, where are we going to get any hope out of that? Well, here, let me just share with you what I find as a, as a source of hope, a, a, a gleam of hope, even in this chapter. I find it in verses 8 and 10, and I've actually reversed it and give you a part of verse 10 first, then a part of verse 8, to make a statement, a hope-generating observation, and here it is. You have it on your sheet. This, what? John said, this whole situation, that's the this. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. See, there will be saints on earth, genuinely born-again people. And John says this whole situation, this calls for patient endurance. It calls for faithfulness on the part of the saints. And then picking up on verse 8, we find this phrase, "...whose names are written." in the book of life belonging to the lamb there's a book there's a book that belongs to the lamb our savior jesus christ and it's a book full of names and it's filled with all the names of those who who've accepted him as their savior and lord all those who've received forgiveness for their sins through his death on the cross all those who 've been given new life by the work of the Holy Spirit sent into this world, the book is full of those names. Is your name in it? Do you think so? Anybody here sure your name is in the Lamb's book of life? Not because you 're so good, because you know you 're bad enough to know you need a savior. And, and the Spirit has let you know there is one. There is one. It's Jesus Christ. And you've received Him as your Savior. You've asked the God, the holy, just God over all the universe to be merciful to you, a sinner, and to receive forgiveness from Him you have done. And your name's written in. In indelible ink. Not pencil. Your name is there. And so what does John say? Even at this time in these horrible conditions, there are people on the earth whose names are in that book, even though they're still on the earth where Satan has just kind of run completely amok. And John says, a time like that, For those who are there, because there are going to be those who are reading this very book during that time. And they're going to be encouraged to know that God has revealed that they would be there. They may have friends and family who who were taken by the Lord out of this world. They may wonder, you know, is there any hope left? But they're going to read these words and says, and in the middle of this time, they're saints on the earth. So surely, surely it's possible that I could give my life to Christ and be one of them, and be one of them. There's a great hope in that when all this is going on around them. You see, that's an observation the Lord himself is making and giving to John. There are spiritual spiritual heroes on the earth during those days. There are those who've newly yielded themselves to Christ on earth during those days in response to the gospel message being preached by 144,000 members of of Israel's uh, nation that God has raised up. We've seen them mentioned. 144,000, 12,000 from every one of the 12 tribes, and they... They hold forth and obey the commands of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And their witness does not just fall on the ground. The Holy Spirit is still at work. The Holy Spirit is still convicting the lost. The Holy Spirit is still drawing people to himself under the most dire of circumstances. And those who are so drawn, those who've been born again, Those who've been declared holy by their Heavenly Father in response to their cry for mercy and forgiveness, they, God's word says, need to patiently endure. Endure and endure patiently. It will not be long. They know it's not a hundred years long. They know it's forty two months, John has said, this beast will rule this way. Forty two months. Wouldn't it be great if you were saved in month 41? And you only had to endure a month? Patient endurance and faithfulness. That means do not fall back. Do not deny what you have affirmed. Do not turn on the Lord Jesus himself. Faithfulness. And why can they endure patiently? Why can they be faithful? Because this book says their name is written. Their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. I am one of His. And all eternity is in front of me, and a few months of torment is right here. But I'm looking long range. My name is in His book. And He will come, and He will rescue me as well. I'll tell you how those tribulation saints will be encouraged by those words. Just like the saints of the first century were. In the first century where they're being fed the lions, where they probably thought the beast was the Roman Empire. And they had to endure patiently. And they had to remain faithful right to the point of death. And how did they do it? Because they knew their name, thanks to the grace and mercy of God, was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And this world is going to pass away. Their life is going to come to an end one way or the other, but eternity will be theirs forever in the presence of God. And so have saints, persecuted saints of every age, every century since the first been so encouraged. There's the hope. The hope is this is not the whole story, what we're going through. My life is in Jesus Christ. I've been given eternal life. And if I just keep a hold of that, my heart will remain strong. My name's written there. Oh, I'll tell you, they, they will be encouraged and they will persevere. We know they will persevere because we've already seen in chapter 7, John looked up into heaven and he saw. He saw this vast multitude. More than anybody could number. And he says, who are these people? And the answer came, they are those who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes pure white in the blood of the Lamb. If we were tribulation saints and we were reading that, we would read chapter 7 before we read chapter 13, and we would say, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. God's grace is going to bring this this vast throng out of this absolutely sinful world and arrange them before his throne. And we will be one of them. We might have missed the coming of Christ for his church, but we will not miss that moment. We will be gathered before his throne and we will serve our God, the Bible says, for all eternity we will be redeemed. And so the final thought this morning says this, those tribulation saints will be some of God's very best. The saints of the church age have a resume. They can be in God's hall of fame. They are taken to Jesus By Jesus to heaven, rewards are given to them. And who knows what all we we might merit simply because we have been faithful to him during our time. But these tribulation saints are in a class of their own. They will have endured. Many of them will join the martyrs under the throne of God. They'll be honored forever. Their patient endurance... And faithfulness under duress will be talked about through all the ages to come. Can you imagine walking through heaven in the years to come and running into somebody that has a, a TS on his robe? TS. TS. Kind of glows a little bit. You gotta, it's like a special badge. Oh, what, what, what? you're a tribulation saint. Well, that tribulation was horrible. The devil was in control of the whole world in a way that he's never been controlled before. And you patiently endured all of that. You were faithful to Christ, our Savior, in the midst of all of that. Oh, I'm so glad to meet you. And he might look back at, at you and say, well, you're one of Christ's church saints, right? You were ready and watching for him, weren't you? My mom was one of those, he might say. She talked to me, talked to me, talked to me, and then the day came where she was taken, and I realized everything she said was true, and I gave my heart to Christ that day and resolved I would, I would remain faithful to the Lord for as many days as he gave me. And look at this. I got a T.S. By his grace. Just imagine the conversations that will be ours. And it's all because. All because we have a Savior. A Savior who took the devil on head to head and defeated him absolutely so that we might have eternal life. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we come today honoring your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who gave this revelation to John. He's the one who who spoke to his beloved apostle and said, there's more that, that needs to be told. There's more that I would have those who trusted me know. And Father, it would seem like we are toying on the very edge of one age peering into the next. And Father, we pray that we ourselves might patiently endure whatever is brought upon us, that we might be faithful to the Lord Jesus who never, never shied away from his commitment to us. And Father, may even this communion right now be an evidence of faithfulness, and reflect our resolve to patiently endure, even as we love and honor. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.